It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hi, I'm Jake from Locked On. For the love of Pete, it's something you might say when your car gets damaged, but that won't get you the help you need for your vehicle. As someone named Jake, what you should be saying is something that can actually help. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. For help filing your claim 24-7, whether it's on the phone, online, or on the award-winning State Farm mobile app, however you choose. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Jackson Gatlin here, host of the Monday edition Locked On NBA podcast. Every Monday, I cover the three biggest stories in the NBA with the local experts from Locked On. It's an awesome recap of the weekend of the NBA and a look at what's ahead. Mark your calendars on Monday to join me for Locked On NBA podcast, available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. You are Locked On Magic. Your daily podcast on the Orlando Magic, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. And you are indeed Locked On Magic. Today is March 29th, 2018. My name is Phil Prosman-Reich. I'm the expert and site editor over at orlandomagicdaily.com. You can, of course, follow me on Twitter at philiprr underscore omd. On today's episode of the show, we're going to talk all about the Magic's loss to the Brooklyn Nets, uh, dissect some things from that game, and then... I'm going to pull out, uh, you know, a, a little bit of a, a, a stretch perhaps, but I'm going to pull out uh, some, some observations that I've had about the Magic's offense and about the Magic's identity that does not seem to be growing or seem to really be present at all as I watch the Magic play the Nets. We'll, we'll, we'll explore some of those thoughts coming up on today's show. Of course, today, uh, Thursday, is opening day in Major League Baseball. Feels weird to say that in March, but I guess that's how they do things now. And the Locked On Podcast Network is expanding. I think I can officially announce that. Not only does the Locked On Podcast Network cover the NBA and the NFL, there are now a growing number of Major League Baseball podcasts. Just like there's a daily podcast covering the Orlando Magic, or the Utah Jazz, or the Brooklyn Nets, or the Chicago Bulls, or every team in the NBA. And just like there's a podcast, a daily podcast, covering NFL teams like the Jaguars, the Dolphins, the Buccaneers, the Patriots, all of them, there will soon be a locked-on podcast covering Major League Baseball on a daily basis, too. Some of the, epi- some of the teams have already, been, uh, have already started podcasting, so be sure to check Locked On and enter your favorite team to get in the game as Locked On Major League Baseball, the Locked On Baseball Podcast Network, begins to launch here at the beginning of the season. Go Marlins, I guess. They're, they're just going to trade everyone again anyway. But go Marlins, go Rays, go whoever you cheer for. I don't know. I don't think the Marlins or Rays have a podcast yet, but they'll get there. Uh, so I just wanted to, to make that announcement. Let's dive right into this one, though. The Orlando Magic falling to the Brooklyn Nets 111-104 to at the Amway Center on Wednesday night. And it was a, a difficult game from the beginning. Brooklyn goes out to an 8-0 lead, and that was really a clue of what this game was going to be. Brooklyn was getting out in transition, warping the Magic's defense by driving deep into the paint, not getting a lot of resistance, and dishing it back out to three-point line. Brooklyn was getting whatever they wanted, and Orlando was kind of meandering through their offense, I would say. There wasn't a ton of energy on the Magic side of the floor, and you could kind of tell that Orlando just just wasn't going to have it. Yes, Orlando got back into the game. Um, Yes, several occasions Brooklyn put the lead out to 12 13 points, and Orlando was able to get it back close, but 
They weren't able to get it done in the fourth quarter. Trailing by just four points entering the fourth quarter, Brooklyn started on fire and Orlando did not. The Magic missed their first 10 shots of the fourth quarter, saw that four-point lead, four-point deficit, excuse me, grow to a 17-point deficit, and the Nets were running away with things. Even though Frank Vogel brought in Aaron Gordon and Mario Zonia uh, early in the fourth quarter, about a minute, a minute and a half into the fourth quarter, they were at the scorer's table ready to come back in to try and get this win. The Magic could not hang on. Their offense was just so, it was just very out of rhythm. That's, that's how I would describe it. And their defense was really a huge problem. The Magic could not stop the Nets all night, and they paid the price for it. Uh, yeah, they're very difficult to guard. Um, all those guys have the green light, and all those guys are able to drive and make plays. Um, and they're playing extremely hard. Um, that's that's one thing that you don't see on films, how hard they play. And you know, when they ever when they able to, uh, to dictate us instead of we dictating them, it's going to be a rough night. Shelvin Mack has it absolutely correct. The Brooklyn Nets dictated the tempo and pace of this game. Brooklyn didn't even shoot that well. 46% from the floor. I think they were 43% in the second half. 12 for 34 from beyond the arc. It wasn't like the Nets were destroying the Magic on on offense or, or killing it. I mean, obviously the Magic were able to get themselves back in the game on several occasions. But Brooklyn just kept up the attack. And Orlando's defense, again, was just not up to snuff. Orlando gave up a lot of dribble drives, gave up a lot of passes on the interior, gave out a lot a lot of kickouts to, for three, to open three-pointers. They gave up a lot of transition opportunities, something that the Magic have struggled with a lot of late. And, and as the Magic's offense struggled more and more and more, their defense struggled more and more too. That's a, that's a general habit that we've seen with this Magic team. Not so much recently, but when they've struggled and struggled a lot, that's been a huge. Uh, that's been that's been something that the Magic have really struggled with overall this season. So it was definitely a a, a frustrating game on that end because Orlando in, lo- in long stretches did look very very good, did look very very capable of a winning this game and b playing well. I mean, Orlando themselves had 25 assists on 40 field goal makes. That's a pretty good mark. They didn't turn the ball over, only 10 turnovers. This was simply a game about the Magic not being able to get the stops that they need and not hitting the shots that they needed in return. And that's obviously very, very difficult. I thought that on several occasions, Orlando's offense simply bogged down. Brooklyn likes to play small. They'll they'll play Rondé Hollis-Jefferson or Dante Cunningham at center. And Orlando's response to that was to try and dump it into the post to Aaron Gordon or Nikola Vucevic. And neither one could really take advantage. I thought Brooklyn did a very good job swarming them, getting them to kick the ball out, and then getting back out to the perimeter. Orlando just didn't have the shooters to make Brooklyn pay for this aggressive defense and for going small. They couldn't spread the floor out effectively enough. Rodney Purvis entered the starting lineup for the first time in his career, missed all six of his shots. Uh, you know, it was just that kind of game where Orlando just was just not equipped to handle this this team. And Brooklyn rightfully took advantage. Uh, and then finally, for perhaps for Brooklyn Nets fans, took advantage. Orlando simply wasn't able to get themselves off the mat. I was just doing good, didn't do a good job of containing the ball. Um, you know, from that they got a lot of uh, threes and also transition. Uh, got some threes out there. Uh, in the first half they got a lot of points in the paint. Uh, so they just didn't do a good job enough defensively. Um, and you know, an offense, our offense uh, wasn't uh, good enough either to keep up with their offense. There wasn't a whole lot to say about this game, frankly. I mean, I, I even I, you know, you, you know me, I find something to write about. Even I struggled to say anything more about this game than that the Nets were the better team. 
They had the better strategy, they had better game plan, they had better execution, and they beat the, beat the Orlando Magic. Perhaps if Evan Forney were playing, things would have been a little bit different. Perhaps if Jonathan Simmons were playing, things would have been a little bit different. But the bottom line is, the Magic just did not have enough to win this game. That's the best way to describe what happened on Wednesday night. And so, you kind of take what lessons you can learn, you understand you need to play better defense, you need to be a little bit more intense, play, maybe play with a little bit more energy, but you lick your wounds and you get ready for Friday against the Chicago Bulls. And that's all that the Magic can do now as the season continues, as this homestand winds down. This is Jake from Locked On. Locked On has teamed up with State Farm to spotlight some of the greatest supporting players in NBA history. After beating the Heat led by LeBron James and Dwayne Wade in 2011, Dirk Nowitzki won an NBA title and proved himself to be one of the greatest basketball players of all time. But there was one player in the starting lineup for the last three games of the finals that helped support Dirk all the way to a championship, J.J. Barea. Led by J.J. and Jason Terry, the Mavs' second unit proved to be the strength throughout the playoffs, where they led the NBA in bench scoring. But for games 4, 5, and 6 in the NBA Finals, Mavs coach Rick Carlisle inserted Berea into the starting five to help the Mavs space the floor and put more playmaking around Dirk. J.J. Berea had a knack for running the pick-and-roll with Dirk that helped the Mavs score more efficiently on their run to a title. Dirk Nowitzki couldn't score the way he did if he didn't have much-needed support from someone like J.J. Berea. Sometimes, you and I need that kind of support, too. Think of State Farm like a pivotal team player. When you need help protecting the things that matter most, remember the jingle and just say, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Let's run through some final stats for you before I get to kind of my bigger, big picture topic. Uh, the Magic, again, shoot 43.5% from the floor, 11 for 31 from beyond the arc, end up 13 of 16 from the foul line, just 10 turnovers, although they turn into 15 Brooklyn points. Um, statistically, obviously not a great offensive night. I think Orlando really got bogged down. They weren't aggressive. They, they Again, they weren't dictating the tempo, which was a, which is a big thing, especially against this Brooklyn team that does like to run, that does want to get up and down and get a lot of possessions, which they did in this game. Brooklyn was the aggressor all night long, and it felt like Orlando was reacting to everything. That might be somewhat expected, considering that the Magic are down so many guys, but at the same time, you want to see the Magic's two main players take that step forward, especially Aaron Gordon, where if the game is not going in their direction, they kind of impose and enforce their will on it. And that's something that Aaron Gordon has not quite been able to do um, early on in his, or, or, or hasn't quite been able to do at, at consistent levels this season. And that's something that I think he's going to have to learn how to do and kind of understand that that's part of his role now. Gordon finished the game 6-for-13, 3-for-6 from beyond the arc, 3 rebounds, 3 assists, 15 points on the night. Not a bad night by any stretch of the imagination. Um, Gordon did a lot of really nice things, um, especially early on. Uh, I think he had 10 of his 15 points in the first half, or certainly in um, in the early stages of the game when, when he and Nikola Vucevic were really the only offensive options for the team. I think they scored combined to score the Magic's first 18 points. Um, Gordon was good. He was able to get his three-pointers, three and he was looking for shots, and I thought he was getting good shots for the most part all game. Not a lot of over-dribbling, maybe a little bit of star-chucking, but I'm fine with that, and actually I would have preferred to have him get more shots than what he ended up with. Gordon, though, obviously has to impose his will on the game. He has to find a way, especially against an opponent like this, to impose his will. And, and time and time again, I felt like he was trying to force post-ups and not trying to play his game, not keeping the ball moving, not getting to the basket, not, not getting out in transition especially, which is tough to do when you're not getting stops. So, big lesson learned maybe for Aaron Gordon here as, as he continues to develop his, his game. Nikola Vucevic with 11 for 21 shooting, 15 rebounds, 5 assists, 24 points on the night. 
did some really nice things, specifically early, really took advantage of Jared Allen, but I think his play waned as the second half went on. Um, I thought that he forced his post-ups as well, turned the ball over three times, uh, really struggled in a lot of areas in, in this game as, uh, as, as Brooklyn themselves attacked the offensive glass really, really hard too. Jared Allen had four offensive rebounds. Ronnie Hollis Jefferson had four offensive rebounds. Um, they they beat up Vooch pretty bad in the post, and I think his defense was also a huge problem all game. He just wasn't able to step up and and help stop that dribble penetration as consistently as as you would need. And you know, as as I've said before, as I said on this podcast before, uh, unfortunately, it feels like the writing is on the wall for him, and that that the Magic are gonna have to move on. Uh, I I just, I just don't see any way around it at this point. The Magic are probably gonna have to very seriously realize and consider that it's just time. Um, That's really the only way I can describe it. It just feels like it's time. Um, And unfortunately, he just doesn't give you what what you need at that position. Mario Zonia with 23 points, 8 for 17 shooting, 2 for 6 from beyond the arc, 7 rebounds, 3 assists, one steal for him. Um, led the team in sc- or didn't lead the team in scoring, but had 23 points, but a little bit of a misnomer there. 11 of those points came in the fourth quarter. Did a really nice job in garbage time once the game was decided, scoring some baskets. That's not to denigrate Mario. Um, you know, he obviously continues to do some good things. I thought he was really active on the glass. And, you know, when I'm watching Mario Azonia, I'm caring less and less about his offense because I kind of know what his offense is at this point. His shot selection is okay, gotten better, but he's still... Maybe take some ill-advised shots here and there. He does a much better job moving the ball. Um, I think he's he's playing a lot smarter offensively. So I, I look less at his offense and look more to his defense and how he's playing off the ball, how he's playing um, defensively overall. He still has a tendency to wander a little bit defensively. He's certainly not disciplined into the game plan, but I think he's finding ways to contribute and doing a lot better on the defensive end. Um, while I, it sounds like I'm... I'm killing him for his offensive game, and I wasn't thrilled with his offensive game in this this one. Hizonia put together a second straight good defensive game. I thought first play of the game was actually something that Frank Vogel pointed out um, when talking about Mario's defense, but really trying to teach Mario to take contact, to, to kind of initiate contact as a defender. And on the first play of the game, a player drove right at him. He jumped up vertically, took the contact. Guy made the shot, but it was good to see, the, good to, good to see that physicality, and, and I think Hizonia brought that the rest of the game. So good, def- honestly, a good defensive game for Mario Azonia. Um, obviously, still has a long way to go on that end. He's, again, wandered a little bit too much, got beat back door a few times, uh, but I-, I thought did some really, really nice things, and, and I think that Hizonia um, played really, really well in-, in the long run. DJ Augustin, 14 points, 4 for 10 shooting, 3 assists. Shelvin Mack, 13 points, 5 for 12 shooting, 6 assists. Important for those guys to get the ball moving. Didn't quite do that all game. Again, the Nets shoot 46% from the floor, 12 for 34 from beyond the arc. They're led in scoring by Karis LeVert with 16 and D'Angelo Russell with 16. Russell also added 12 assists. Uh, Damari Carroll, Rondé Ellis-Jefferson, 14 apiece, as well as Joe Harris in a revenge game, 4 for 4, 2 for 2 from beyond the arc, 14 points. And Jared Allen with 15 points, 8 rebounds. Damari Carroll also adding 12 rebounds for the Nets. Brooklyn defeats the Magic 111 to 105. Or one, sorry, one eleven to one oh four at the Amway Center. Orlando will not get a winning home stand. Something that I think the Magic wanted to accomplish in these ne- in these last seven games, but they'll close that up Friday against the Chicago Bulls over at the Amway Center. So be sure to check that out.
Hey guys, it's Walker Mail, host of the Locked On Hornets podcast, and being around sports media and a fan of the Hornets for a lifetime has taught me that sometimes it's exploring the sliding doors moments and what-if scenarios in sports that can be the best part of the fan experience. What if the Seahawks let Marshawn run on the one-yard line with the Super Bowl on the line? Or could a coin flip actually have landed Magic in Chicago, Michael in L.A., and made Charles Barkley the first black president? Enter Wondery's newest sports show, Alternate Routes, a weekly leap into the sports multiverse with former Sports Center anchors Trey Wingo and Kevin Frazier. Each week on the podcast, Trey and Kevin will pry open the sliding doors of a different what if moment from the world of sports. In these alternate sports realities, dynasties will fall, legacies will change forever, new goats will emerge. Follow alternate routes on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcast. You can listen to alternate routes early and ad free right now by joining Wondery Plus. And, you know, we're, we're, we're thinking big picture stuff here. Um, I, I, we're at the point of the season where. The results of individual games aren't so important. It's, it's you know, someone put it to me, someone in the media room put it to me this way. I think it was Danny Thompson um, put it to me this way. It, it, it's, at this point, it's more important how you lose and how you're playing than necessarily the result. And I get some of that online as well, saying, you know, why is Nikola Vucevic still playing 30 minutes a game? Well, he's playing that because he's still probably the best center on the team and, and the Magic are trying to win games. Um, certainly Kem Birch should be playing more than nine and a half minutes. That I agree with completely. But it's it's getting also to the point where, you know, the magic, I think, something I've preached before, have to lay a foundation for their future. They have to begin forming what they want to be. We saw this last year. You know, they finished eight and sixteen, which isn't a great record, but they used that time after the All-Star break, after the Serge Ibaka trade, to try and develop their identity for the next season. To try and become something new. And say what you want about it. The Magic got a full training camp in whatever their offense is supposed to look like now. And it worked. They were the best offense in the league through the first 10 games or so. It did carry over. And Vogel certainly credits the, the way they felt finishing the season for that carryover. And so the question now is, what are the Magic going to carry over with them to next year? What are they going to bring with them into next season? Defensively, they're playing a little bit better, but... No one's confusing this Magic team for an elite defensive team, just like they they wouldn't confuse them for an elite offensive team. But I watched the Nets play, and and this has been true of a few of the teams at the bottom of the standings that that I do enjoy watching. I watched the Nets play, and I do see a distinct style. I do see a commitment to an identity, a complete buy-in, something Kenny Atkinson talked about even before the game. This is a bunch of guys trying to prove their place in the league. And they're playing like it. Even with nothing to play for. They don't even have ping pong balls to play for. But you see them playing at a high intensity level. And not only playing at that high intensity level. But showing a commitment to a set set of principles. 
This is a team that wants to get up and down and transition, that wants to drive, 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 and kick. Their constant movement, their constant pressure, and Coach Kenny Atkinson has embraced this. Willing to play without a center for long stretches to give them the space to explore this system and get into these habits. I looked at the Nets and watched them just attack the Magic over and over and over again. They don't care if they're at a disadvantage on defense right now. They find a way. They're scrappy. And as Shelvin Mack said, you, you can't get a sense of their effort watching them on film. They are constantly coming after you. And that's something the Magic are lacking right now. They're lacking an inventive spark, and that's, that's certainly been a criticism of Frank Vogel throughout the season. They're lacking... Not just an inventive spark, it feels like they're lacking that core identity. This is not a team that's getting up and down the floor with reckless abandon sometimes. This is not a team that is a great three-point shooting team. I, I think one of the key questions that we have to ask Frank Vogel, especially as we evaluate his performance and his job, is who are the Orlando Magic? Who is this team? Who do they want to be, even? These are, I think, really big, somewhat existential questions that the Magic just haven't been able to answer succinctly over the last even five years. What kind of team do the Magic want to be? We heard about length. We heard about defense. We heard about all this stuff. And certainly the offense was neglected as as the Magic didn't have the shooters they necessarily needed. So again, we ask, what are the Magic trying to do? I would say the Magic are trying to get up and down. They're trying to increase their pace. They're trying to to get out and transition, use their athleticism in transition. That's And obviously, things are a lot tougher considering all the injuries they're facing. But that identity seems to be slipping through these latest injuries. It's not clear the Magic are trying to play this style or that they have the personnel to play that style. It's not necessarily clear what style they're trying to play. And so, one of the questions I think Frank Vogel has to ask or what that we have to ask of Frank Vogel is, as these games wind down, how do you envision this team looking? And how will you prepare this team for what they need to be next year? If we're going to go for wins, if we're going to try and establish an identity, establish a foundation, what does that foundation look like? I'm just sitting here asking questions. I don't have an answer. 
I think that this roster is extremely mismatched. I think the way that they played early in the season is about what they should play with the roster they have, but it obviously wasn't sustainable. And that's every bit of reason to begin moving on from some of these players. Are they a pick-and-roll team? I don't think they are. DJ Augustin's nice in the pick-and-roll. Evan Fournier is okay in the pick-and-roll, but Aaron Gordon's not. Jonathan Isaac isn't. If anything, this team is beginning to take on that identity of a, a defense, a potential defensive juggernaut with Jonathan Isaac in there. They've played much better defense over the last 20 or so games. But obviously there's slippage there. And we've seen a really strong defensive magic team fall apart after a quarter of the season. So again, what are the magic trying to build here? This is one of the big questions that Jeff Weltman has in front of him entering the offseason. Because you need to you need to understand what that identity is and acquire players that enhance that identity. Something that this team is clearly missing right now. It's definitely a major existential question for this franchise and for this team right now. And unfortunately, there are no easy answers. And unfortunately, there are games like this where Orlando is seemingly playing catch-up and unable to dictate the pace and unable to dictate the play and seem to fall into traps, the, the exact traps that their opponents set for them. Because when you have an identity, when you have an understanding of who you are and what your roles are within an offense... It does not matter who you're playing. I want to thank everyone again for listening to today's episode of Locked on Magic. You can, of course, follow us on Twitter at Locked on Magic as well as like us on Facebook at Locked on Magic. You can also check out our website, LockedOnMagic.com, where we have some conversation starters. I give you a look at what I'm reading, what I'm thinking about, uh, and what's coming up on today's on today's episode, on today's podcast as well as tomorrow's episode of Locked On Magic, so be sure to check that out and uh, give us give us uh, some love on the website as well at LockedOnMagic.com. You can, of course, follow me on Twitter at R underscore OMD, and for the latest on the Orlando Magic, including a look at one of the big decisions that affected the Magic's 2009 finals run tomorrow, you can check out OrlandoMagicDaily.com as well as follow us on Twitter at OMagicDaily. That's going to do it for me today. Once again, the final score from the Amway Center, the Brooklyn Nets 111, the Orlando Magic 104. On tomorrow's episode of Locked on Magic, we'll have a complete preview of the Magic's game against the Chicago Bulls. I know that's a big one for the tank race, but you know where I stand on that. So we'll leave it there. For Orlando Magic Daily and Locked on Magic, this has been Philip Rossman-Reich. I will see you all again tomorrow for another episode of Locked on Magic. You are Locked on Magic. Your daily Orlando Magic Podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hey, Prime members, you can listen to this Locked On Podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.